0: Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed.
1: Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, The EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com blue wire to learn more and find a center near you.
2: What's up, Rotor Grinders, and welcome to Sharp DFS Analysis here on RotorGrinders.com. My name is Chris Dermino. I'm an analyst here at Rotor Grinders, and joining me to go over the Week 14 action in the NFL, we've got Chris Raybon, Senior DFS Editor of 444. Chris, what's going on? What's up,
3: Chris? Uh, happy to be here. Uh, unfortunately, Warren couldn't be here, so I guess it's just uh, the two Chrises today.
2: Yeah, Warren is out uh, with uh, some vocal issues here this week. Hopefully, he gets well Gets back with us next week, but we've got plenty of NFL action to talk about, plenty of strategy notes to talk about as we always start our show with a little bit on strategy, Chris. And this week I kind of wanted to talk about something that happened uh, to me last week where I got the news that Brian Poole was going to be out. We were going to be missing Desmond Trufant on the Falcons. And I made the assumption that Bleedy Ray Wilson, who we've all known for many years as a negatively graded cornerback across the league, Uh, was probably going to be lining up on the outside. They were going to bring a safety down to cover Thielen. And I just got really excited about Keenum, got really excited about the wide receiver core. And I kind of failed to take into account a couple of things about how this, you know, really would affect the game in the sense that Bleedy Ray was on the Falcons roster. You know, the coaches kind of know where he's at right now. I don't think if they weren't comfortable with him, he would be really even on the team. Then, of course, his draft profile, he's really more of a zone type guy. We saw them run 17 out of 30 snaps in traditional zone looks, cover two, three, four, and six per Sports Info Solutions. We saw, you know, Diggs was probably going to end up some of the time on Alford and, you know, Bleedy was probably never going to be left on an island by himself. The bottom line is, you know, with a game script that would probably, you know, project poorly with the Vikings defense not allowing a lot to the Atlanta offense, the Atlanta offense not really being an explosive play offense and with that in mind with the Atlanta defense maybe I overrated this as a blowout spot I took news about a defensive injury and I over you know overrated the impact on the game so that's kind of my question for you this week Chris is how do we avoid overrating adjustments on defensive injuries because some of them do matter but how do you figure out how much they're worth you know when to really get excited about an injury Uh, how much does it really affect us when these defensive players are missing? And furthermore, which are the positions that are the most important when they're ruled out of the game?
3: Yeah, that's a loaded question. So I'll go through it uh, piece by piece. I think first of all, your process with kind of reviewing what was going on in Atlanta with Trufant and Poole being out. I think that process is actually correct. And it kind of goes into a larger point about wide receivers that I actually was tweeting about earlier this week, somebody, you know, made the comment that it's frustrating when, NFL offensive coordinators don't attack good matchups that you can obviously see are good on paper and whatnot. And my response was kind of, well, actually there's, it's a, it's a lot deeper than that because, you know, when there's a good matchup, especially when you can see it on paper, there's not only an offensive coaching staff, there's also a defensive coaching staff as well. And they're going to try to take that away. So it kind of creates a situation with receivers, especially where the receivers that have the best on paper matchups um, they're going to kind of be in a situation where the defense is paying them the most attention, where everyone's going to try to, to stop them. And then the coach has – the offensive coach has to now make adjustments and say, okay, well, not, not only am I going to try to exploit this matchup, but I'm also going to try to exploit whatever the defense does because they know that that I have a good matchup here. So it, it creates kind of a natural for – attacking that Atlanta situation. It's just that wide receivers are the most volatile um, kind of players in daily fantasy. And you're going to have a situation where, you know, we do the probability of hitting cash game value over at four for four. And you'll see that in a given week, there's hardly any receivers, if any, that even hit 50% on that metric. So, you know, no matter what you're doing, there's always going to be a good chance that wide receivers especially aren't going to hit value. And, you know you don't you can't necessarily look at it and 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 say oh well this is I should have you know accounted for this with Bleedy Ray and that like at the end of the day you just kind of have to you know whenever you can um, just kind of follow that sound process with selecting wide receivers and and you know look for the air yards look for the targets and sometimes it's going to hit and sometimes it's going to miss but you know even with the Falcons playing zone and Bleedy Ray in there I mean if you play a cover three zone for example that the cornerback still responsible for that deep third of the field. So anybody, you know, that's still a one-on-one, you know, if the receiver runs a vertical, um, you know, in the slot, the, in the corner still responsible for a certain zone. And a lot of times these matchups will happen even in zone coverage. So um, that's, that's the first thing. But I think, honestly, I think defensive injuries are something that we really should pay a lot of attention to. Um, and that, you know, you're going to, you, you, that's one of the biggest edges you can kind of get because what happens is, if you're kind of consuming a lot of d f s content all week, a lot of it is written before the Friday practice reports come out so on you can start looking through the injury reports on Friday, seeing who's practicing who's going to be out, and that's kind of a little added edge and you, you can kind of see you know what and even what's been going on a week at practice you could kind of get a sense of what a team's going to do on Sunday, so I think you know injuries to cornerbacks are very important, obviously. Injuries to a Mike linebacker, somebody like Sean Lee, or um, on Dallas, where you could see the numbers really change once he went out, or a player like Ryan Shazier. I'm sure that's going to have a negative impact on the Steelers defense, and that's because the Mike linebacker he calls the plays, he gets the defense set up, just like a quarterback can come to the line and kind of audible and look at the defense and survey and find a matchup that he wants, and and audible A, a defensive Mike linebacker is doing the same thing. So that that's a really important one. And, you know, depending on the matchup, you know, if there's an interior lineman, like we saw Halote Nata for the Lions, he went down, their run defense got, you know, wasn't as good. That, the same thing could happen in Cleveland if Danny Shelton's out. So those, those those are really the big three, you know, the interior lineman versus the run, the Mike linebacker for the whole defense, and then cornerbacks when you're looking at individual uh, wide receiver matches. But again, just remember that there's wide, – selecting wide receivers is always going to be a challenge and. Um, I don't think you can look at like a specific situation like what happened in Minnesota and say, okay, well, I made a mistake here. I think it's just a natural variance of, you know, a, a low scoring game, like you said. Um, you know, same thing with somebody like Devontae Adams last week who accounted for 50% of Brett Humley's yards, but he only threw for 84 yards. Um, they ran the ball very effectively and scored a defensive touchdown. And so there wasn't much passing yardage to go around. Um, these things will happen um, and we, we kind of have to stay, uh, stay, stay the course with the process.
2: Yeah, right. I think it's just really worth, like you said, the variance of the wide receiver position was probably the biggest mistake I made there. And it's, you know, I played a you know, much larger percentage of those Minnesota receivers than I probably would have otherwise. And I, I could have taken into account more the fact that the wide receiver position is a bit more variant when I was reacting to that news. And we'll have a chance to do it all over again this week, Chris, because we'll talk about it a little bit later in the show. There's some wide receiver, uh, such as some quarterback injuries that are going to be affecting the matchup for some wide receivers this week. And we'll have a big decision of what to do, both uh, from a play perspective and an ownership perspective related to those injuries. It's time to start talking about some of the games this week, Chris. Uh, No real high total games that are going on. Again, we've got Chicago, Cincinnati, Seattle, Jacksonville, Minnesota, Carolina, Cleveland, Green Bay, the Jets, Denver, Dallas, and the Giants as kind of these lower total type games. No matter what the total is, what we're looking for, as we've talked about many times on the show, is some games that could go over the total. So I'll throw it to you first for this one. What's a game that you're looking at in week 14 that you think could exceed expectations from a total perspective? I'm looking at the Chiefs hosting the Oakland Raiders
3: and the total, as we record this, it's 48 and a half. It opened at 47 and a half. And I think the reason for the jump is pretty clear to see. You have two defenses that are really struggling Right now, you have the Oakland Raiders, who on the season I just tweeted this out, but they have more defensive coordinators than interceptions this season. You know, they only have one pick in over three hundred and ninety pass attempts on the season. You know, and, and twenty touchdowns allowed, and that that's just really problematic when you're going against uh, players like Travis Kelsey and Tyree Hill in, in, in an offense like that. And on the other side of the ball. For the Kansas City Chiefs, unfortunately for them, right in the thick of the playoff race, they have to suspend their top cornerback, Marcus Peters, which really weakens a defense that was already uh, extremely weak versus the pass. You know, Kansas City is actually, in terms of schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed that we do over at 4 for 4 Kansas City allows the most in the week, 21.3 points per game their defense has really struggled especially at cornerback they bent they benched Terrence Mitchell on the outside uh they, they had Kenneth Acker in there they had Philip Gaines in there at times all those guys have been benched they went and signed Darrell Revis they only played him for about a half last week benched him in the second half and now they're going to be forced to essentially start two of those those guys on the outside with, with Stephen Nelson probably continuing to man the slot and that's That's going to be tough, you know. Oakland gets Michael Crabtree back this week. They're not going to have Amari Cooper, it looks like, but you know they're going to have Michael Crabtree. The running game has been better, and I think uh, the Chiefs are have also been struggling to stop the run as well. So I think you have kind of two teams here with struggling defenses, with competent quarterbacks. It's an important game, Um, and and I think both of them can outscore the expectation. You know, the Chiefs are. Uh, 28th in overall defensive DVOA, 24th against the pass and 30th against the rush. And then the Oakland Raiders are dead last in defensive DVOA, dead last in pass defense DVOA, and 19th against the rush. So just anytime you have two bad defenses and two offenses with, with good quarterbacks and, and competent, you know, good good skill players, I think you can firework. So that's where I'm looking for for the game that I think will go over its uh, its its in betting total this week.
2: Yeah, and I think with a big slate, with some really chalky plays out there in DFS, we're not going to see absorbent ownership on the Raiders' side of the ball. I think that some of the Chiefs are going to get a little bit chalky here, uh, given the situation, but for very good reason. You know, explosive plays could be in the works here for this Kansas City offense. Again, if they follow up on that great performance last week, so it'll be interesting to see if this goes over the total and if we can leverage some of those guys in DFS. I want to take a look at what's going on in Houston versus San Francisco. we got a lot of things going for us here. I think this game is going to go over the total. It was at 44. I think it just moved to 45, and we'll have to continue to monitor that throughout the day because I think I'm not the only one that's on this situation being a potential spot to go over the total. Let's talk about pace. San Francisco first in pace, eighth in neutral pace. The Texans also a very fast-paced team, fourth situation neutral pace. On the San Francisco offensive side of the ball, we've got – Garoppolo at QB now, Jimmy G, right there in the name, Chris, he's a G. I mean, the guy is absolutely going to start getting it done here. In this Kyle Shanahan offense, we've got Houston uh, 15th and past DVOA, but they're a team that has had the 11th easiest schedule of opponents on offense thus far. Uh, Jimmy G's played well in his initial starts. He should continue to avoid sacks. If I should say if he can continue to avoid sacks, the Houston defense uh, is one where – you know, I don't expect them to have a ton of sacks here in this game. And if Jimmy G can stay out of trouble there, avoid the interceptions, I assume they can move the ball like they did last week. Eight drives, five of them resulted in field goals. So if they can convert some of those into touchdowns, that will certainly obviously go a long way to making this game go over the total. And, of course, Houston 17th in rush efficiency defense, despite the easy schedule, uh, 12th over the past four weeks uh, with a really soft schedule in that particular stretch. So, overall, I think San Francisco could – their fair share on offense here but I think obviously the Houston offense is where people are going to be looking most frequently in DFS you know San Francisco 30th and overall DVOA uh, 30th and sack rate would be the rate for the San Francisco 49ers so I don't expect Savage to be under a ton of pressure here in this game uh, favorable down distances could be in the works if the run game can get going and of course San Francisco 20th and rush DVOA 23rd and adjusted line yards allowed uh, we're talking about a Houston offense that, uh, you know, is starting to get Lamar Miller going a little bit here. So I think people are going to be looking at him uh, in this week in DFS. I think that's probably a good call. And like I said, good down in distances could lead to some success here for Savage, especially when you have a guy like DeAndre Hopkins lining up in a favorable matchup against Dante Johnson. Uh, just I got all the stats here, you know, that basically favor the Houston offense against the San Francisco pass defense. I'm not going to rattle off every single one of them here, uh most interesting to me is the fact that, you know, the targets to the wide receiver uh, for San Francisco are fine. We could be looking at the you know situation where 104th ranked cornerback could be up against Hopkins. That's not something that he actually needs to succeed in the game. He can exceed in much tougher matchups. Uh Akela Witherspoon on the other side has allowed four touchdowns and 189 pass snaps per Sports Info solutions. That could be good news for Will Fuller if he returns. And, you know, we're talking about a team in San Francisco that allows the second-most targets to running backs as a percentage. And, you know, Andre Ellington, Lamar Miller, these are guys that could be seeing some increased work in the pass game if that's the case. Uh, Miller, 13 targets over his last three. Just a ton of stuff going on here for the Houston offense for us uh, to be liking. Uh, you know, I mentioned the San Francisco offense earlier. Marquise Goodwin is in a decent matchup with Kevin Johnson. Uh, the ancillary receivers that no one cares about, Lewis Murphy, Trent Taylor, I mean, they've been getting it done to some degree. Uh, bottom line, with a game total of just 45 right now, historically fast-paced offenses, and the better-than-usual expectation for the performance of both of them, this game's probably going to go over, and I think that we can look to target both sides of the game in DFS.
3: Yeah, I, I really was impressed with Jimmy Garoppolo last week. Um, I, I was on him last week as well. He, he actually struggled um, a little bit in the red zone. They, had, they settled for five field goals in the red zone, but they moved the ball up and down the field against Chicago, he was 26 to 37. Um, You know, I think he's he's, he's a really good quarterback, and this is a defense that can, you know, be exploited. They actually have allowed touchdowns on 71.4% of their opponent's red zone drives over their last three games, which is tied for fourth highest rate in the league. So I think San Francisco can definitely have uh, some success as well and like you said Houston you know they're, they're just kind of San Francisco's not a good defense and you know Houston very concentrated offense you, you have Miller and you have and you have Hopkins and you probably have the tight end and we'll see Will is coming back but um, I think it's really going to be interesting you mentioned Andre Ellington I think he's actually might have to play the slot in this game he played it he played some last week as well um, it's look like it looks like they're going to be without Bruce Ellington and Braxton Miller so Andre Ellington might actually line up in a slot which helps Lamar Miller because Lamar Miller actually seated five of the six carries in the inside the red zone and all three inside the uh inside the 10 last week strangely um to Alfred Blue and to Ellington but Blue is going to be out with a concussion and Ellington's probably going to be in the slot so all of a sudden you're looking at Miller probably getting close to 100% of the workload
2: in all areas of the field Didn't even mention Steven Anderson. People are going to be on him a little bit in DFS. So a lot of good spots here uh, for our purposes this week. Uh, Make sure you try to find a spot to take advantage of it if we're correct that the game is going to go over the total. Uh, As far as favorites, uh, underdogs this week, Chris, we've got, I don't know, a couple big favorites here. Cincinnati, the Chargers, Dallas, Pittsburgh, New England. Still waiting on two lines to come out uh, with Matthew Stafford's injury and Tyrod Taylor's potential Uh, Injury here uh, affecting the lines in the betting markets. Close spreads, Seattle-Jacksonville, Minnesota-Carolina. We mentioned that Houston-San Francisco game, another reason to like that game. And uh, the Jets versus Denver, Tennessee-Arizona, Philadelphia, and the Rams. Pretty good amount of close games this week, so it should be fun to watch from an NFL perspective. I'm a little bit concerned about what's going to happen there in Green Bay for the Packers. They're four-point home favorites, but they've got a few issues that they could run up against, Chris. Secondary's banged up. They're going to be without Kevin King. He's out for the season. Um, Devon House also has missed practice all week. He could be out here, and that could be some additional trouble. When you take a look at what's on the other side of the ball for the Browns, uh, Hundley doesn't throw deep balls. Very few pass TDs TV- this year. You know, his true passer ratings poor. He's hard in the red zone. Uh, just not a lot to like about the way Hundley has played this season. He's got that one game under his belt where we started to get confidence. Then last week he absolutely destroyed us in a good spot and basically threw away all that capital. So I, I don't know which Hunley we can expect to see against a Browns defense that, you know, you mentioned Danny Shelton could be out. You know, they, you know there's some reason to believe that the Browns uh, could do something or that the Packers could do something in this game, but I'm just not that confident based on what we have seen thus far. You know, the Browns are still ranked first in football outsiders' DVA Like you said, Shelton could be something that affects that. But Greg Willing's defense is otherwise problematic for the way that the Packers play uh, they, you know, they don't. They're kind of bend but don't break. They're trying not to allow those explosive plays. They don't always do a great job of that, but they are designed to try to limit that. Cleveland uh, ranks second in adjusted line yards from a rushing standpoint. So, you know, the favorable down and distances. If uh, Shelton plays could be at issue here. Packers, thirty-first in an, an offensive adjusted sack rate allowed. So, you know, if Hundley continues to be under pressure. If the Packers continue to try to keep the leash on him and don't let him throw down the field and try to, you know, capitalize on uh, some kind of a big play in the spot. I just don't know if they're going to score a ton of points against the Browns. I expect this game to be low scoring. The Browns to definitely be in the game. They might even be able to win it and get their first win. They don't have a lot of chances to win a game the rest of this year. And if you look at the other side of the ball in offense, you've got Josh Gordon back, you've got Corey Coleman back, you've got Green Bay allowing the eighth most DraftKings points a game to the wide receiver position in the last four weeks. You know, I'll talk more about Gordon later, but I mean, this guy's just, you know, he looks like he's he's back. That's basically the way I'll put it for right now. Um, and Joku's been on the field more. He could be doing some damage in this game. You know, Duke Johnson and Crowell, a pair of backs uh, that, you know, aren't in fantastic spots, but they've always got the capability to do some damage. And it's really all dependent for me on Deshaun Kaiser and how he can show up in this game. You know, I think there's a lot of things that are concerning about Deshaun Kaiser. You know, he would be the reason that if the Browns don't stay in this game, I think that that would not being able to get the ball to his talented wide receiver group, not being able to avoid turnovers and sacks and those types of negative plays that would really hinder their ability to win on the road. But I'm kind of expecting him to show up here. This is, like I said, one of the few chances they have to win a game this season. I expect them to be up for the game. And uh, I would be concerned about the Packers' ability to actually come through here in the spot, not terribly interested in their offense as a result.
3: Yeah, I think, as you pointed out, the Packers – don't match up well to the Browns, as crazy as that sounds. I mean, the Browns' defensive vulnerability has been the tight end position, but with Martellus Bennett no longer in Green Bay, the tight end has been almost non-existent, especially for Brett Hundley. And then you have Devontae Adam really being Hundley's go-to guy, but in Cleveland you have a, a cornerback in Jason McCourty that has been shadowing, that has been shutting down uh, number one wide receiver is for Keenan Allen last week who's on a ridiculous tear but McCourty is a guy that they could conceivably shadow somebody like Devontae Adams with and uh you know the, the Browns do have some injuries you know themselves Jabril Peppers, Brian Body Calhoun but it's just not a matchup that that favors the Packers and then on the other side of the ball you alluded to it I mean on the season Green Bay is allowing the most schedule adjusted fantasy points to opposing wide receivers. So that's not good when you want to face Josh Gordon. And not only is Kevin King on IR, but Devon House, their other starting outside cornerback, wasn't practicing Wednesday or Thursday either with a shoulder injury. So he might not go. So they could really be thin at that position as well. And that's the one position against Cleveland now with Gordon and Coleman that you don't want to be thin on defense.
2: All right, so what do you got here when it comes to a game where you think a favorite could struggle or maybe an underdog that could succeed?
3: Yeah, I think this Jacksonville uh, Seahawk game is interesting. I think Jacksonville, even though they're at home, could struggle a bit as the favorite. They look like three, three-and-a-half-point favorites right now, depending on where you look. And the reason I think they could struggle is their whole offense and their success is predicated on defense, but also on the running game on offense. And Seattle has just been a brick wall when it comes to uh, – Allowing any type of rushing production, I mean, they're just they're just you know really shutting down, stonewalling opposing teams' rushing attacks. And if Jacksonville can't run the ball, then I don't know how necessarily they win they win this game because you know Jacksonville, you're gonna have to put it in the uh, the uh, the hands of Brett, uh, Blake Bortles and against the Seahawks secondary. I mean, they ha- they don't have Richard Sherman, they don't have Camp Chancellor, but they've still been pr- playing pretty well and you know you still have Earl Thomas back there to kind of solidify that you still have a bunch of linebackers like KJ Wright and Bobby Wagner in the middle and Jacksonville loves to run those crossing routes and they don't really go deep a lot so the absence of somebody like Sherman might not hurt as much in this matchup because you're going to have those linebackers kind of patrolling the area where Jacksonville likes to throw those crossing routes to Marquise Lee and D.D. Westbrook so I think that's going to be some trouble for them. And on the other side of the ball, as good as Jacksonville's defense is, you're going up against Russell Wilson, has that case for MVP, has a lot of different players, you know, that he can spray the ball to. The one position Jacksonville on defense in, in terms of pass defense hasn't been quite as strong is the uh, tight end position. They actually rank 15th in DVOA against the tight end. And you have Jimmy Graham leading the league in red zone and targets, targets inside the 10 and, Converting touchdowns in close as well. So, I and, and also you have Jalen Ramsey kind of banged up a little bit. Looks like he's missing some days of practice. Not a, a lot to play either at cornerback for Jacksonville. So, I think Russell Wilson can kind of offset some of the strengths of that Jacksonville defense just by running around a little bit and creating plays after you know after you know when he, when most quarterbacks would have thrown the ball, he he could still be rolling around that pocket. That neutralizes some of Jacksonville's strength a little bit, makes them cover for. A little bit longer, and I think that it, he's a really interesting contrarian play. His price is down, Jimmy Graham's price is down, even Doug Baldwin's price is down. And um, I think Seattle's you know they, they're gonna be able to do, do enough to win this game if they can stop the run of Jacksonville, which I think they'll be able to do.
2: Everyone tuning into this show for my season long takes, hopefully Graham can get it done because in the Scott Fish Bowl, I don't have the services of Gronk this week, so I need Graham to come through for me, but otherwise. You know, the, uh, the take is, you know, completely sound here. I don't see any particular reason why we should be slobbering over the Jacksonville defense this week, given what we've seen Russ Wilson do. Now, I grant you, you know, there's no reason to, like, just absolutely fall over yourself to jam in all the Seahawks you can get into your lineups this week, but there's certainly reason to believe they could have success, uh, especially since that offense. Like, uh, I don't know, what would you call that offense, Chris? Is they, just, they just run around and just do stuff. I mean, they, they, what is the scheme?
3: it's like a playground type of scheme, almost like a schoolyard scheme at this point. I mean, I think they they do have schemes, but if you notice, they don't start off games very well, and that's usually when you have the scripted plays, and they usually do a lot better in the second half, particularly the fourth quarter, and that's when Russell Wilson's just back there making off-schedule plays. They have guys that can go down the field and get the ball, like Paul Richardson, um, Doug Baldwin, and again, Jimmy Graham, you know in in that red zone he's hard to stop no matter how good your defense is it's really just hard to stop a guy that could just post you up no matter how high quality of the cover how high quality the coverage is I mean you could put Jalen Ramsey on Jimmy Graham and he could just post him up you know in the end zone for a touchdown and you also had Mike Davis the Seattle running back last week put a put up over 100 yards against a Eagles defense that was ranked number one in schedule adjusted fantasy points against running backs. The Jaguars are actually ranked 24th. Um, they, they, they had a couple good games after Marcel Darius came to the team, but they've been up and down somewhat in run defense. So that's also something to, to, to look out for since Davis is pretty cheap across the industry as well.
2: Yeah, Davis is your Gio Bernard pivot out there in tournament land. If you're looking to get away uh, from the absolutely astronomically high priced chop or I should say low price chop. All right, Chris, let's go ahead and get into a segment on offensive analytics for the week. Uh, I've taken a look across the landscape and landed on somebody I'm pretty confident in this weekend, and it's Larry Fitzgerald. Uh, Health status-wise, he's not on the injury report. We're probably going to see Logan Ryan back for the Titans. He was in the concussion protocol, but it looks like he'll probably return to cover the slot where he lines up most of the time. Uh, He is pro football-focused Uh, Ranked pretty good here. I I think he's in the top uh, 35. He's 32nd as far as ranking is concerned. But uh, I do think that when you look at the production uh, that some guys have had against him this season, I'm not so concerned about his PFF grade. He's allowed 63 targets and four touchdowns uh, despite that 32nd ranked grade. So when you take a look at the macro matchup here for the Titans, 25th and past DBA, 18th against other wide receiver, usually a spot I would assume would relate to the slot. When you talk about 26 pass ranking in efficiency per sharp football stats, that's not terribly good for the Titans here. Uh, 54% of the targets go to wide receiver position. That's kind of on the low side for the Titans, but uh, they also do uh, allow a lot of uh, production recently, sixth most in the last four weeks for the Titans. So overall, pretty good spot here for Larry Fitzgerald on a macro standpoint. The micro matchup, obviously with Logan Ryan, I think he can beat him. There's going to be no Adrian Peterson this week or likely know Adrian Peterson this week, which is probably going to cause Arians to have to rely on the passing game uh, to move the ball here at home. They are home underdogs. If they expect to stay close in this game, I think Fitzgerald's going to have to be involved. You know, he has been involved. Last four target totals, 14, 10, 8, and 10 for Fitzgerald. So without that running game with a pretty good macro matchup, a pretty good micro matchup, it's pretty safe to go ahead and put Larry Fitzgerald into your rosters this week. And I think he does also have... A high ceiling given his role in the offense
3: yeah Larry's just been killing it every week with um for, for the most part with Blame Gabbert and I, I don't see you know why that would stop Gabbert seems to be a little more focused on getting the ball to the middle of the field that's why you're kind of seeing Larry Fitzgerald Ricky Sales Jones take off and the the wide receivers on the outside are taking a back seat really haven't heard too much from J.J. Nelson Jerron Brown as of late they've kind of you know, that's not really Gabbard's strength. So I think he's going to continue to target that middle of the field.
2: All right, so who do you got from an offensive analytics standpoint, Chris? Where can we turn if we're trying to find a good spot in DFS this week? Yeah, you actually
3: mentioned him a little while ago, but Steven Anderson, the tight end of the Houston Texans, going up against the San Francisco 49ers. You know, as I mentioned, there's a ton of injuries to Houston pass catchers to the point where, you know, the only really healthy pass catchers is DeAndre Hopkins and uh, and maybe Will Fuller, and then Anderson, and you're going to have a running back probably playing the slot, and you know, you have Lamar Miller. So, you know, Steven Anderson is he's 6'2, 230. He's a pass catcher. He's kind of almost a, a wide receiver in a tight end's body. If you look at playerprofiler.com, you can see that Anderson is in the 80th percentile at his position in terms of 40 yard dash time. He's in the 85th percentile in, uh, in burst score, which is it measures, you know, your, your vertical and your broad jump to, to kind of get a measure of explosiveness. Um, he's 94th percentile in agility score and 87th percentile in catch radius. So he's a talented pass catcher. And over the past three weeks, Anderson is actually fifth among tight ends in market share of team air yards. And that's impressive because in week 11 and week 12 combined, he played only 20 snaps. So um, that, that he's still one being one of, you know, the most uh, looked at targets for Tom Savage and just one of the most, you know, one of the highest upside usages of any tight end in the league over these past three weeks. And that continued last week, especially, you know, when all these guys went down, when Braxton Miller and Ellington went down, you know, Anderson, 12 targets, four targets inside the 10-yard line, which is important because San Francisco was previously a a pretty formidable defense against the tight end position. They had a safety, Jaqueski Tart, who did very well at covering tight ends, limited the production of opposing tight ends for most of the year. But he went down in week nine. And since then, San Francisco has allowed uh, four touchdowns in four games to the tight end position. So you combine that with Anderson getting four targets inside the 10 yard line and you're looking at a a pretty good shot at him reaching pay dirt at minimum prices. It's just a lot of upside here. And a lot of people might not realize this, but the Texans under Tom Savage have actually become a lot more pass heavy. I don't know if it's because they realize that they can't run the ball um, as well. You know, it's been real tough for Lamar Miller. He's kind of, he kind of has to like slither and and, and kind of push it just to get three, four yards uh, every carry. Um, the offensive line isn't blocking well, so I wonder if maybe with, without Deshaun Watson there to kind of threaten the defense with that option, that, they, that they've kind of lost some faith in the run game a little bit. But 39.6 attempts in Savage's last five starts, they were only averaging 30 pass attempts per game in Deshaun Watson's start. So about 10 more pass attempts per game under Savage, that bodes well for somebody that's close to the minimum price like Anderson doing just enough to hit value, even if he doesn't score a touchdown or something like that. But as I mentioned, you know, he has the air yards. He, he has the, uh, the targets. So there's a lot of things to like with Steven Anderson, close to minimum price on DraftKings and at minimum price on FanDuel this week.
2: Yeah, I think, like we mentioned earlier, I think there's going to be a lot of plays in this game. There's a lot of opportunity for Anderson to get the ball. You mentioned the Texans being pass-heavy. I think the 49ers are the most pass-heavy team in the league right now. So just going to be a lot of opportunity for plays in this game. And a guy like Anderson for dirt cheap prices on some sites out there in DFS land uh, just seems like a pretty good option here for uh, all of our DFS action in the week. So a lot of sharp people on him, Chris Raybon on him. I would suggest that you take that to heart. Let's go ahead and talk about some teams that might struggle now, Chris. There's, I don't know, a bunch of close games this week, a bunch of spots that I don't think people are looking at at all for good reason. And, one of those spots that I don't think is going to get a lot of love is the Carolina offense, and that's for plenty of good reasons. First, you know, Minnesota, just from the traditional run rate DBOA standpoint, is really good against the pass and the rush. Uh, when you take a look at their efficiency on Sharp, they're matching up with that as far as how they do against pass efficiency and rush efficiency. Top 10 in both stats. Uh, Minnesota first, that limiting success to the running back, and six, that success to the tight end. Devin Funches is the only really true explosive you know, receiving weapon that the Carolina Panthers do have. Uh, he's been, you know, he's been awesome this year for, in a lot of games, but I just don't think with Xavier Rhodes, probably going to be tied to him most of this game that he's in a particularly good spot. You know, we haven't heard you know, anything about, have you heard about Trey Waynes this year? I mean, I've heard people talk about this on other shows. I mean, the guy just isn't being talked about. PFF ranked 61st, that means he's probably been doing a much better job than I think we've seen him do in prior years. He was previously kind of a spot to target at the cornerback position. You know, Anderson Sendejo, and Harrison Smith, the first ranked, you know, safety and PFF grades, that's a dynamic combo that makes it very difficult for guys like Greg Olson to get off and, you know, interior routes to get off and the run game to get off. Just a lot that Sendejo does for the defense that makes things challenging for the offense. Everson Griffin, elite edge defender. Uh, Khalil has been limited so far this week in practice. If he's not 100%, I mean, that could be problems for him dealing uh, with Griffin uh, as a pass rusher. So, I mean, there's just not a lot to like here on the Carolina side of the ball uh, from an offensive perspective. Uh, You know, they're not limiting – they're not allowing success to the running back. So McCaffrey out of the the backfield probably not going to be in a good spot. They're not allowing success to the tight end. Olsen's off the board. We talked about the wide receivers and the safeties making it difficult for the rest of the offense. I just don't think we should be looking at Panthers in Week 14.
3: Yeah, I agree. This Viking defense, they're very – they're talented and they're also very well coached. So they're able to kind of attack the weaknesses and limit, you know, the other team's strengths. So it's going be, to be a tough goal for Carolina this week, I think.
2: Or right, who you got from a defensive perspective? Where should we be concerned for Week 14?
3: Well, the Jets wideouts have both been white hot recently, Robbie Anderson and Jermaine Kurtz, but I think they could slow down this week uh, going against Denver in the mile high. I think that, you know, with Aqib Talib back, now you have three cornerbacks who PFF rates, uh, they've, they've rated 115 cornerbacks that have qualified for, for rating and all three of Denver's corners rank inside the top 20. you got Bradley Roby at 16, Aqib Talib at 19, and Chris Harris at 20. So that's going to be a tough matchup for the, the Jets wideouts. On the, on the outside, Denver ranks uh, as the second-best team in terms of schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to wide receivers. Um, they're allowing only 22.3 schedule-adjusted PPR points per game uh, to all wide receivers, so there's just not a lot of production to go around against Denver the the place you really want to attack Denver is is the tight end they rank 28th and schedule just a fancy points so out to the tight end we've seen Austin Safarian Jenkins been be involved near the goal line he just hasn't converted a touchdown in a while but he uh, has five red zone t- targets uh, over the last 3 games and i think the jets to move the ball on this one they're going to have to attack that broncos run defense that's going to be without a couple of key players on the interior um just put Derek wolf on the injury reserve i believe and i think pecko is still out or banged up at least. So I think the Jets is going to be more of kind of a uh, a middle-of-the-field oriented game for them a little bit more than usual. And you're going to see guys like Powell and Forte if he plays and, uh, and ASJ. And the, the wide receivers, it might not be a smash spot the way it's been um, for, for them for these last few weeks.
2: Yeah, uh, certainly reason to be concerned there. And, you know, the bottom line is, I would take Chris's words to heart on this particular issue as well. When you're making your DFS rosters, week number fourteen. Oh boy, Chris, the chalk this week—it's a topic of conversation across the industry, and I think it's for very good reason. We've got some rare situations for DFS that we haven't seen in maybe maybe a little bit of time here. We have a replacement running back who hasn't been priced as the starting running back, or even close, quite frankly. And we've got a wide receiver who hadn't played the majority of the year. As a matter of fact, he hasn't played in the majority of the last couple of years. He's back now, and his coach is demanding he see the football. His physical skills demand he sees the football. I mean, he's going to be very highly owned in DFS. That's Josh Gordon, of course, the running back. Gio Bernard. We've got Travis Kelsey against that Raider defense that should be pretty chalky this week. And we're going to get a couple of defenses that will be on pretty chalky side. The Chargers and the Bengals, namely two defenses I think are going to be on the high side of chalk. I want to talk a little bit about Josh Gordon real quick. I think everyone's going to talk about Josh Gordon. So I'm not going to try to, like, like beat a dead horse on this. We just, you know, the bottom line is he, he's an 85th percentile speed score athlete, 6'3", 225. And the replacements for, like, guys like King uh, and Devon House we are going to be talking about, like, Demarius Randall and Josh Hawkins out there. Hawkins 55th percentile speed score he's 510 189 just a physical mismatch for Gordon and it's it's just not going to bode well for them not you know if they do try to take out Gordon they've got someone on the other side that can do some damage as well maybe we'll talk about that in a second too but yeah the, the end of the day here is the coach is you know trying to get him the football schematically we've got a situation where he's a mismatch physically low price tags in DFS uh a team that is quietly ascending on the offensive side macro basis before the injuries green Bay was not very good on defense against wide receivers. They allowed tons of targets to the wide receiver position. Uh, they allow tons of fantasy production to the wide receiver position. And this is all before, you know, you, you enter a guy like Gordon in the mix who could be a top 10 talent. If he ascends to the level where he was prior to his absence from pro football and Apparently he was on drugs during all that. So, I mean, this is a situation where a lot of people are talking about this for very good reason. He's probably going to get a lot of targets. So I think his floor is better than we might normally expect for a Brown's wide receiver. And I think he's probably going to be good chalk this week. uh, You know, if Deshaun Kaiser can actually deliver the football to him.
3: Yeah, I agree. I mean, Gordon had a 48% market share at area. That's just ridiculous. And the matchup sets up for him to do kind of the same thing. And, even last week I mean he got targeted a ton even though he was going against Casey Hayward which is one of the better cornerbacks in this league so yeah I think you know Gordon is good chalk you know it's 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 hard to see a scenario where he doesn't um, put up put up some numbers just because you have a guy like Kaiser and even though Kaiser will miss some throws he, he'll also throw the ball down the field and he'll take risks so that even if that's not always good for Kaiser it's usually good for for, for a wide receiver that he'd be throwing to, like, a Josh Gordon. So, I like it.
2: Yeah, and if you're not taking Gordon, I, I would, I'd imagine Coleman is, is probably going to do something. I mean, it's just hard for me to picture with this secondary that, like, just nobody on the Browns has any kind of a good game. And I would expect it's one of those two outside receivers first. Uh, when you take a look at the rest of the chalk, Chris, uh, where are we looking for good chalk?
3: I mean, Giovanni Bernard, I think, is the same thing, especially when, in cash games where – You're really just trying to lock in anytime you can a bunch of touches for a really cheap price. And Bernard only 3,100 on DraftKings, 5,100 on FanDuel certainly qualifies. The Bengals actually don't have another running back on their roster that has carried for the team this year. Besides Bernard, if Mixon is inactive in this game, their backup, Brian Hill only played special teams last week, even after Mixon went down. So going to be probably a full workload for Bernard. Mixon was averaging 17.2 touches per game from week 3 when Bill Lazor took over to the game before he got hurt and that's probably Bernard's floor um, on the on the season with Laser. the Bengals backfield averages over 24 touches per game, so you could see a situation where you're getting, you know, 25 touches, maybe even a chance for more than that depending on the game script. With Bernard, he can catch the ball out of the backfield over 11 yards per catch on the season and two touchdowns receiving. So it's just a really good spot. Um, the matchup isn't amazing against the Bears. it's kind of, They're kind of a middling run defense. But anytime you're looking at a, a, a running back that's on a home favorite that can catch the ball, that, that's going to see a, a ton of snaps and get a lot of touches. Um, in a game that probably, you know, the, I don't see the, the game script going badly for the Bengals, um, you know, in, in terms of getting down and having to abandon the run really against Chicago, even with the Bengals defensive injuries. So it's just a game where there's Bernard has a lot of avenues to, to, to hit value and a lot of avenues to which he could completely smash value as well. So I think he's probably the highest floor play when you're looking at kind of dollar for dollar, you know, who has the highest floor. I think Bernard is that guy this week.
2: You know, it's a low total game, but you know, if you are going to take someone in a low total game like this, you want a salary obviously to be low. So his expectations are a little bit lowered, Uh, You probably want someone else in the offense to probably have some kind of chance of success so that you could picture that team getting close to the end zone, at least give this guy a shot at scoring, getting in the end zone. I think A.J. Green could be that guy against uh, maybe Mookamara could be lined up with him quite a bit. I think that's, you know, provide A.J. Green gets volume. He'll come through for fantasy probably, but more importantly, he'll probably be able to move the sticks and keep Gio Bernard on the field for us to be accumulating fantasy points. I do think that's pretty good uh, chalk this week. Not a lot of reason to be excited about a full fate of a guy like Bernard. Um, Out there, you know, when you talk about some of these other guys that we're going to see ownership on, we mentioned DeAndre Hopkins. Uh, He's probably going to end up being good chalk here this week and certainly in a good situation, good gaming environment. Um, I don't know, how chalky do you think Sterling Shepard's going to be this week?
3: I thought, you know, at the beginning of the week, you know, we had him pretty high projected ownership, but then he was missing a lot of practice. And um, just given that there are so many other options at that you can go with at wide receiver and that you also have a guy like Jeff, Josh Gordon in that same price range, I don't think he'll be as chalky as he would have if he hadn't kind of popped up on the injury report. Um, I think he'll probably be, you know, kind of average, moderately owned, you know, not, not, not like 5% or anything, but probably not 20% either. Um, so yeah I think I think he's in a good spot as long as he's he's healthy um, although the Dallas defense at the same time they should improve now with Sean Lee coming back um, that's that's that'll be big for them so um, you know that there's kind of some uncertainty there.
2: A Raiders are 29th in explosive pass defense as I mentioned earlier seems kind of suboptimal when you see a guy like Tyreek Hill out there on the field also Travis Kelsey it's not forget them. Uh, Do you have anything else to add here on either one of these guys? I mean, I expect these guys to be pretty chalky and I would expect that based on your analysis, you think it's good chalk. Yeah. Yeah. I I, I think
3: the the interesting thing with Hill is that his eight highest receiving yardage games in his career have all come on the road. (laughs) And I don't know if that's just some type of weird variance or what, but he is at home this week. But I mean, if there's any defense that would bust that streak, you know, Raiders have to be at the top of that list. You know, just just kind of struggling uh, across the board in, in playing pass defense. So I wouldn't be too worried about that. But yeah, I mean, you know, Travis Kelsey, he he's you know you have there's enough value where you can you can play him in cash games if you really wanted to. I mean, he's had 20 or more DraftKings points in four of his last five games. You know, he's involved in the game plan pretty much every week, whether they're winning or losing or struggling or not struggling. So I do think it's a good matchup for this this Chiefs offense and they're highly concentrated offense as well. I mean it's really Kelsey, Hill, Hunt, and not much else to go around there. So you can kinda you can kind of get, you know, do do some different kind of stacks there, maybe run it back with somebody like Michael Crabtree.
2: I, I look really foolish if I continue to bash home road splits on the air like I've done in the past. And I, I do think there's merit to him in, in plenty of cases. I just don't know like about Tyreek Hill who's not been in the league that long with home road splits looking at that right now. I mean there's some obvious some evidence that he struggled at home. Uh, do I really want to make that leap that because he's at, just because he's at home this week he won't do something? I don't know about that. Now, I think there's other reasons to always be a little bit concerned about a, an archetype like Tyreek Hill as far as jamming him to a bunch of DFS lines. But if you went ahead and took advantage of that last week, you were not sorry whatsoever. So I think there's another chance for him to do something again this week. Uh, defensively, the Chargers, Chargers, Jaguars, and Bengals are the guys I have listed on my sheet here. Uh, you, we talk about the Jaguars struggling. Do you have concerns about them on defense as well?
3: Yeah, I mean, I just don't think they're in the same kind of upside spot where they, you know, they were. They, I think, they have four or five twenty-point games this season. They score over double digits in most weeks. I don't know if this is that type of situation. It's kind of similar to the Eagles. Now, the Eagles aren't quite as good as the Jaguars on defense, but still a really good defense that was scoring a, a lot of fantasy points. And they went and played Seattle. And they struggle to to really do anything of note too, as well. So I think there's kind of a situation like that where the Jaguars, you know, they're just, it's this is not a good matchup for them from a defensive perspective. Russell Wilson, uh, you know, he, 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 he can turn the ball over. You know, we've seen that in road games in in seasons past, but it's been pretty good all year um, as far as, you know, protecting the football and playing, playing well, regardless of the game location and, you know, it's it's kind of an ugly week for defenses because the Bengals' defense, they're kind of the chalk by default just because they have the, somehow, somehow have the highest uh, spread of the week. I mean, we'll see. There's two lines as we record this that haven't come out yet, Bills, Colts, and the Bucks-Lions, but it, it looks like the Bengals are going to have the highest uh, spread of the week, the lowest opponent implied total of the week. And that's kind of interesting. I'm kind of uncomfortable about it just because they're missing, they're going to be missing so many defensive players. I mean, it could be a whole new defense. Geno Atkins, you know the, the DNPs on Thursday. You know Geno Atkins, Vontez Burford, Darquiz Denard, Adam Jones, Drake Kirkpatrick, uh, Nick Vigil, Sean Williams, and Brandon Wilson. And then you have the safety Georgia Loca, who's going to be suspended. So you're missing. You could be potentially without your your top, uh, you know, top three corners. Uh, you know your, your your top interior lineman, your top linebacker, uh, two of your two three of your top safeties. I mean, it's it's essentially going to be a whole new defense. So you know uh, this the, the spread on this game is a little interesting, and I'm kind of looking for for reasons to to get off them. You know, if I can, but as of right now, they're kind of that default chalk just because they are pretty cheap um, compared to other defenses, and they do have the the Vegas you know totals in their favor, but. You know, I'm, I'm not – I don't know. How do you, What do you feel about the, the, the Cincinnati defense? Because it's, it's kind of
2: uncomfortable for me. Well, you just reminded me of a couple of injury, injuries that are definitely very concerning for that unit. The problem is who I'm looking to take advantage of those particular matchups is not incredibly thrilling. You know, we've got a John Fox-led <laughs> team here going in there to try to get it done in, like, a very slow, disgusting environment. You know, we're looking at the – discarded Dontrell Inman as like the wide receiver one in this particular, in, you know, in this offense right now, that's where we're at. We're at, you know, Marcus Wheaton, just, I mean, again, a bunch of castoffs, you know, Kendall Wright involved in, in this particular offense. We've got Adam Shaheen. I mean, if you're not getting excited, I don't blame you, Chris, you know, Jordan Howard, like maybe he's the 3% guy who all of a sudden has a chance in DFS because of all of these defensive injuries. But, you know, you can't blame, America for not getting on this game despite all the injuries, and maybe that's to our own fault. But it's a massive slate, and there's a lot of options that are just a lot sexier here. So that's where I'm at right now: is I'm probably not going to react to it, but maybe we should. I don't know. Yeah, I just meant more with like using them as a defense. You know, as oh. and,
3: you know that like that's like it's like right now they're kind of the chalk defense just because of their price. But you know, it, I'm not feeling great about that. Um, <laughs> so we'll see what happens.
2: Yeah. Well, I guess I guess that speaks to maybe. Maybe you know I don't want to be on the chalk defense anyway for the most part if I'm playing tournaments specifically. So you know, as far as cash games, uh, you know, why shouldn't we be on the Vikings this week? I mean, is I mean they're cheap, right? I mean, I, maybe that's just like not a situation that we can project with any kind of a safety. But are the Vikings interesting to you at all? Yeah, I think they're interesting. Uh, it, it, they're just for whatever reason
3: they they haven't scored a lot of fantasy points it's been weird they've they've played really good defense but they kind of play this brand of defense where they're just like shutting you down they're not making you turn the ball over they're just like limiting your yards and um you know I mean I I I like them though this week because I think Cam Newton you know and that Cincinnati offense I mean excuse me that Carolina offense he's always liable to have just a disastrous game he's not one of the more accurate quarterbacks in the league. So I think in this game, it's quite possible that he throws some picks, especially since we know he's going to still look for Devin Funches, even though Xavier Rhodes is on him because they don't really have much else for him to throw to. You have McCaffrey, Funches, and maybe you'll have Greg Olson, but not much else. So um, I, I do think this is a spot where the Minnesota defense special teams could put up some points. And we know that they, they usually have good return, return game or, or whatnot, so that, that could also help Um, perhaps maybe get a touchdown that way.
2: All right. Let's let's start talking about some guys who are under the radar here. Uh, I'm going to drop a couple of names here that I think are probably going to have lower ownership for a lot of different reasons in DFS this week. You know, I mentioned briefly Corey Coleman a few minutes ago, just if he's the guy that gets the touchdowns, if, you know, Kaiser has two, three touchdowns and Corey Coleman gets one to two of those and Gordon doesn't get in the end zone. I think he could be an interesting way to take advantage of that situation. Same spot as Gordon, uh, you know, he's a talented player who was getting a lot of targets prior to his return. So if you want to try to leverage that massive ownership without, you know, getting away from that spot altogether, I think Coleman's a guy that you could turn to to do so. I also think that the Detroit Lions passing game is going to be overlooked because of Stafford's injury. Now we want to make sure we keep an eye on what his health status is and try to dig deep before we start jumping on Tampa Bay again for the second straight week with a quarterback with an injured hand. But you know, we, we saw him throw on video with taped fingers yesterday, he looked okay. Uh, Tampa Bay ranks pretty poorly in all kinds of pass metrics, and we're talking about getting Golden Tate, who gets a lot of separation against a guy like Robert McClain, who's got a high QB rating allowed in coverage per player profiler. We've got Ryan Smith, four touchdowns, QB rating 126, you know, 10.57 yards per attempt, and this is just in 236 pass snaps on the season this season, you know, four touchdowns, like the third most in the league. So, you know, you could be getting Marvin Jones or even, you know, don't tell anyone, Kenny Galladay could make an appearance here this week. If uh, he gets lined up on a guy who's been struggling in coverage and, you know, we know Stafford has the ability to be efficient if he's able to throw the ball. Well, so I just think this is in a situation where there's not going to be as much ownership or maybe any ownership at all, just because of the injury situation and uh one of those guys is probably going to get it done this week.
3: Yeah, I think that's that's a really good situation because it, it really does depend on, on, on Stafford. But even even if he doesn't play, I mean, there's going to be some type of production from from somebody in that game on the Detroit side. I mean, they're not just going to get zero yards. So you're probably going to get a lot lower ownership on receivers in good matchups. Like you mentioned, Galladay, Tate, Marvin Jones in a situation – you know, where the matchup is still good, you know, even, you know, maybe all three of them don't go off, but, you know, I think there's certainly uh, corners to take advantage of in Tampa Bay. When you're talking about Ryan Smith, you're talking about Brent Grimes struggling, uh, Robert McLean in the slot, you know, had, it was outside now he's going back inside because Vernon Hargraves is out. And, you know, it's just, just kind of, it is a good matchup for Detroit. So I like that.
2: Or who you got under the radar?
3: I think, uh, you know, going back to what you said about kind of trying to get leverage off, Josh Gordon I think another player to keep in mind is David uh Njoku as well um you know he's a he we saw him kind of flash last week he's been flashing these last few weeks he actually has a 13.1 average depth of target per air yards.com since the buy um so you know, we always want to find these tight ends that have these higher you know good air yard profiles because so many tight ends are just getting these 5 to 7 yard passes and they need a ton of volume to get upside, whereas you have somebody like Njoku. I mean, he streaks down the seam, catches a touchdown or a long pass, and at his price, he can definitely pay, you know, pay off his, uh, his salary. So I think he's an interesting play. Green Bay started the year. They were pretty good against the tight end, but they are down to 22nd in DVOA uh, against tight ends and 17th in schedule-adjusted fantasy points allowed to tight ends. So I don't think that it's a prohibitive matchup by any stretch for Njoku. But the player I was initially going to mention was Emmanuel Sanders. And that's kind of – I talk a lot about in in my articles over at 444 about being greedy when others are fearful. It's a Warren Buffett quote, I believe. And I think this is one of those situations where you can be greedy when others are are fearful because Sanders and the whole Denver offense has really been struggling. But one thing to keep in mind is Trevor Simeon throughout his career has played a lot better at home, 87 passer rating at home, 74 – on the road. Um, Simeon has started a lot of road games lately and um, you know, the numbers haven't been there, but Sanders, you know, back at home, the, uh, the Jets 24th and schedule adjusted fantasy points allowed to the wide receiver position. You know, Sanders at his lowest price point of the season on DraftKings, and the Jets are actually allowing the second highest, highest, excuse me, average depth of target in the league at 9.7 yards. Per target so you have a, a a guy like sanders who can get downfield and he's now he's at that price tag where he catches one deep ball and a few other passes throughout the game and he's probably gonna give you some value so i, I like sanders kind of flying over the radar people are probably going to be scared to, to touch that game in general but especially to touch the broncos passing attack after these last few weeks
2: uh, a couple things. First, I like anyone who has their own signature celebration dance. So, David Joku definitely on my list there with that sort of end zone, you know, little jump move that he does. But also Emmanuel Sanders, kind of a similar profile-ish to a Tyree Hill. I mean, I'm not trying to draw that comparison to be like, what happened last week will happen this week. But I've seen over the years Emmanuel Sanders get behind the defense so many times. And you you know what I'm talking about, that diving catch where it goes just over his fingertips, like it, just out of reach. Can we get one? In this guy's hands. I mean, this guy is fully capable of getting behind the defense for a deep one. We know we've seen him get it done the other way, too, with a bunch of targets and a bunch of after-the-catch ability. So this guy is going to be undervalued in DFS. I think that's a fine way to go to be contrarian, considering the failures of last week in the Broncos. That's going to do it for a sharp DFS analysis here in week 14, guys. I want to remind you to head over to 444.com and check out what they've got going on. Uh, If you like what Chris has had to say here, he's got plenty more to go off of and certainly a lot of other guys over there doing a great job uh, for DFS and season long. Of course, you can check out roto Premium where myself and a bunch of other smart dudes are out there putting out great content each and every week. Uh, Get all the sports, not just football, uh, one price. I think that you'll be happy with your selection to subscribe to RG Premium. Best of luck in all of your contests this week. For Chris, I'm Chris. We'll be back again week 15.